this morning, or this evening. See, look, it's already morning. Mark 10, uh, verse 1, And he arose from thence, and cometh into the coast of Judea, by the far side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. Now, we've, we weren't here last week, and over the last three weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of God coming out of chapter 9. We talked about the issue of hell there and, the, and, the, and Gehenna and so forth. And now we're going to move now. Now we're, we're moving to where the Lord is coming into. If you notice, he cometh into the coast of Judea. Um, now, what's going to happen is get Matthew 19. So you're going to need to stick something in Matthew 19 because we're going to kind of bounce in and out of it. Because as we look at this parallel passage in Matthew 19, we get more information than what we have in Mark. And again, that's because Mark is pressing the servant issue and he's just moving right along. But notice Matthew 19 and notice verse number 1 because this is a critical moment it's a pivotal moment in the uh, earthly ministry of Christ. 19.1, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. Now, if you hold there and go back to Matthew 4, you see the earthly ministry of Christ can be divided into two, two areas where he does ministries, two sections, chapter 4, verse 12. And when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. So you have his Galilean ministry, and he moves up into the north uh, area, and he headquarters out of Galilee as he's doing his ministry. Now, 19.1, where we're at in Mark 10, he's coming into he leaves Galilee and he, 19.1, departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. Now he's moving into um, Judea. He's on his way to die. He's on his way to Calvary, to the cross. Uh, if you come, like I said, stick something in Matthew and come back to Mark 10. Again, what we've already seen it. He's introduced the issue of going to Calvary, chapter 8, verse 31. They don't get it. They actually object to it. He deals with them. He teaches them. He talks to them about what his ministry is, about that, the issue there of the kingdom of God and, and the connections and everything. And now here in chapter 10-1, what's he doing? He's, now he's moving into the coast of Judea. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And again, as he wants, what does he do? He teaches them. That's what he's doing, preaching and showing the kingdom. So between not the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, there's really a lot of time that goes by that, again, Mark just goes right over. He doesn't deal with it, again, because his focus is on the servant. And the focus now in Mark is this last trip as he's heading to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. So Mark is going to really kind of leave out a lot of detail of ministry activity that uh, Matthew and Luke and John uh, take up. And, and again, it's because he's focused in on something very specific here concerning the kingdom of God. And again, we just spent three weeks talking about it and those two aspects that physical aspect, yes, but then that spiritual aspect as well. That, that issue of the rule of God being accomplished in the realm of the earth under the house of Israel, <clears throat> under that seat of the woman, the seat of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then that spiritual life that they need that is going to produce the physical kingdom. And that's, we talked about that. Again, by the way, us, we learn through Paul that there's a heavenly kingdom, and then through us, what are we, what, he's going to produce the kingdom of God in the heavens. So the kingdom that they're going to be talking about here is that literal, physical, visible, earthly 
Davidic kingdom vested in the nation of Israel through the covenants that God has given them and established with them. And the issue here is really going to be the life that God's going to provide for Israel and then the nations through Israel in that kingdom. So he's going to start here, and that's really why Mark moves and skips. The focus of that servant, the servant is always moving. He doesn't sit around and, you know, he's eating lunch on the run, if you will. And that's what Mark is doing. Mark's like, okay, you got the kingdom. Now he's going into into Judea. He's moving. Verse 1. And he arose from thence and came into the coast of of Judea by the far side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? So the Pharisees come and they're going to ask him a question, but they're at, the question that they're asking about marriage and divorce and everything, it's really designed to draw him into a fight, to tempt him, to get an accusation. Verse 3, And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept notice notice how they answered correctly moses did suffer he does make that issue of a bill of divorcement but jesus nails them because of your willful disobedience to god's word he had to do that and again we'll say more as we go through here but under the law adultery was found guilty of adultery meant you were killed you were stoned and the reason for that is, is one wife, one husband, one spouse for one lifetime, that with the only way to loose the innocent party from the marriage was to kill the guilty because death is what broke the bond. Well, if everybody's doing it and everybody was doing it, eventually what would you end up doing? Killing everybody. So there's a, we'll talk about that as we go along here. There's something going on here, much more than just, them trying to test him there's more and more more here in it but again for now they're just trying to catch him and what does he say it's the hardness of your heart and that's the the issue the first issue here that he's going to deal with in verse three and four and five is that institution of volition he's doing something here watch verse six But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh, so then they are no more twain but one flesh. Well, there's the second creation institution of marriage. So he starts... He, again, we're, we're ta- he's going to Calvary. He's going over here. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. And he's questioned by the Pharisees, and he instantly starts dealing with these creation institutions. Volition, marriage, verse 13, and they brought young children to him and he, that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. Now we have the issue of a family and kids and children. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he said he was much displeased, And said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. Now watch, for of such is the kingdom of God. And now there's that fourth institution of nationalism, kingdom, human government. And again, he's the kingdom of God is made out of families that are created by people who are walking in the truth of God's word. The Pharisees aren't doing that. They got a hardness of heart. So what is he so what he's doing here is we have Genesis 1 and 2 and and 9, 10 on the board here. Why? Because it's for the establishment of his kingdom in the earth. These four institutions, the institutions of creation are designed for that issue of he's going to establish the establishment of his kingdom in the earth and the true 
the true nature of these institutions is what's going to produce the kingdom of God. It's what they're all about. Volition. Man makes the choice to obey God's word. He then gets, finds a spouse, a man or woman, okay? The choice to get married. They find a spouse. They get married. They have children. And, that, then the, and when they have the children, what are they passing down? The institutions, the God's word, they're training them, they're teaching them, and then that will eventually roll over into the makeup of the kingdom. So as Christ starts, again, heading to, to the cross, he's heading to Jerusalem, he begins by reaffirming the real issues here. And that is that issue of the institution through through reaffirming the institutions, he's reaffirming that from the beginning, look at verse 6, but from the beginning of the creation, from the very beginning, the issue has been how his kingdom is going to function and operate. Volition, marriage, family, national, human government, he, all of that is designed to, for him to reclaim earth, we have the fall and all that. Okay, it's the adversary. There's so much in all of this. Some, you know, just to keep it simple, stupid is what goes through my mind. It's literally what went through my mind, because it's it's all hooked into each other. It, it, it's 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 very it's very important to see the hook. All of that is designed. The the ultimate goal, the cosmic. Uh, chaos, the cosmic conflict is whose kingdom is going to rule and reign over the universe. God says, my kingdom is going to look like this, volition, marriage, family, and then the kingdom is carried out. So they are uh, 10-2, and the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? What? Tempting him. The Pharisees, again... They're like that gnat in the room that just won't leave you. Have you ever under you understand why you can't kill the gnat? Because when you swipe at it, the wind of your hand movement moves it. Then it just comes back, and then you're over there beating yourself upside the head. Finally, you got to wait till it gets somewhere so you can go, you know, squish it. Well, that's what the Pharisees are to the Lord. They 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 come at him again. They're always bugging him. They won't no break. And they ask him a question, a leading question. Now, come back to Matthew 3. Well, in Matthew 3, you have John the Baptist, right? Matthew 3, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. They, they came after John. Again, this is, who, who are they? They're a generation of vipers. Generation generated by the devil, their father. They're, they're, they are Satan's people. And that's why they keep coming after him. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Go back to Mark uh, 10. They, they just don't let up. Now, Mark 10, verse 1. And, and he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. So we have here where he's going to come onto the far side of Jordan. We're on the west bank of Jordan. That's where we're at. Now, Matthew 19, I told you, stick something in there, right? I told you, and I, then I didn't do it. So Matthew 19, notice, if you will, verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. So this is very important where the Lord is when this happens because of what's being said and to whom and how it is being said. So hold on to Matthew and the Mark and come over to John 1. John 1. We're on the far side of Jordan. We're on the west banks of the Jordan River. John 1, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying, where? In the wilderness. Now, this is John the Baptist. 
Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. So when John says, prepare the way, where is he? He's in the wilderness. Okay, verse 28. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. So see how we're beyond Jordan? So the Lord Jesus Christ, in Mark 10, he's... Out of Gal- comes out of Galilee, comes back down into the territory where John began all of this. Okay? So the Lord is literally going back to where it all began. Bethabara, Beth means house. Bethabara, the house of return. That's where they're at. They're all back. The Lord has come back into where where. All of the pronouncing began, uh, Matthew 3. In Matthew 3, I know I t- you can let John go, keep Mark and keep Matthew, but look at John 3, because there's something here that you've got to catch that is, is it, to me, it it's, makes all of this just give you goosebumps, okay? In Matthew 3, John's dealing with the Pharisees, verse 9. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. You see that thing about these stones? Now, first of all, where is John? He's in the wilderness. He's on the far, he's beyond Jordan over there. And he says these stones. Well, in Joshua 4, Joshua puts stones in the river Jordan where they cross over. Elijah crosses over, and it's God leaving the land. Elisha comes in, and it's God coming back into the land. The place is marked in the Lord's earthly, in his second coming, when he comes down and he comes up around the cross Jordan into Jerusalem, Mount of Olives. He's crossing at the very place where it all began with Joshua. The Lord returns, Mark 10. He's come back into Beth, uh, into the coast of Judea, he's beyond Jordan, he's on the west banks of Jordan, and he's right there where it all begins. He's standing there where the stones are, those stones that mark the 12 tribes, that mark everything. You go read Joshua 4, and they put the stones when the priest uh, put their foot, their tote in the ark, and it dries right up and all of that. They're right there. He's prepared, John the Baptist Prepare the way. He's preparing the way for Israel's deliverer to bring them into the land. To The Messiah, that's where we're at. That's where Jesus Christ, come back there to Mark 10, is located. So the stones there in Matthew 3, don't. we just kind of tend to read over them and chuckle, <laughs> you know. And no, the stones are important. But here's the Lord. Where's the Lord? He's right here where it all started back with Joshua coming in. Okay? Now, I told you Mark 10. I should have told you Matthew 14. So go to Matthew 14. John the Baptist. So first of all, when the Lord comes into the territory, he's right there where John started. He's right there where Joshua started. He's right there where Elisha, Elijah, all of the guys, right there. Okay? Now, number two, why do the Pharisees ask about the marriage and divorce thing? Okay? Why is that now a topic? Well, look at Matthew 14. They've learned something from watching Herod with John the Baptist. Matthew 14, 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Herod's guilty. He's got a guilty conscience for killing John. Verse 3, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Why? For John had said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Herod's messing around with his brother's wife, adultery. John confronts him. So what does Herod do? 
Kelsing. Now here, now you got that right. Now come to Mark ten, because here come the Pharisees. And what do they ask the Lord about? Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? They're setting a trap for the Lord. They're trying to get. They're trying to get a, a, a cause to take to Herod, who killed John for questioning adultery and, you know, marital infidelity, okay? So if we can get the Lord to fall in the same trap that John did, then what would Herod have to do? Kill him, see? So we've got, there's more going on here than just this little thing here between the Lord. We've got him right back where it all started from. And then the Pharisees are using a tact. Hey, if we can get Herod to hear him say, you can't have your brother's wife, maybe Herod will just take his head off too and we'll be good. That's what they're after. 10-1. All right, you got all that? Good, let's go home. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I got a few more pages of notes here, okay? But you have to understand that the Lord, he's, he's, he's walked back into all of this. And they're trying to destroy him. And there's an, there's an assault here by the satanic policy of evil to just to do that, to destroy him. So he comes back. To, he's coming back to die. I mean, think about that. And yet... They want an excuse to kill him. They just can't kill him. they got to have an excuse. So they bring up this issue here about divorce because what are they trying to get him to do? Herod to kill him just like John the Baptist. All right, verse 2. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Is it lawful? Again, is it lawful for Herod to have Philip, his brother's wife? No. That's what got John. Verse 3. He answers them, by the way, here with a question. And you answer with the, a question with a question to get the questioners to think about what's going on here. That's why you, answer, you ask questions. And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? And, he, and they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement, and to put her away. Okay, now that's Deuteronomy 24, the first four verses. That's where he's quoting for. But the question isn't what did Moses say. Notice what he, and he answered and said, what did Moses, what? Command you, see. Well, they said what? Well, he suffered it to, he, they suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. Why did Moses have to write that precept? Because of your hardness of your heart. So there's a couple of things we've got to see here. Verse 6, But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. Notice the dispensational thing here. Where did he go? He went right back to the beginning, didn't he? And that's always a, a good place to start. Now, come over to Matthew 19 and watch it work out here in Matthew 19. Now, we're building this. We've got to, we're putting the pieces together here. The volition. They made the choice to willfully harden their hearts, disobey God's word. They ask a a leading question to get the Lord about divorce and remarriage. The Lord answers them, well, what did Moses say to you? What did Moses say to you? Not what did Moses write, but what did he say to you? And that is going to be so key here because of Matthew 19. Look at Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? Boy, that is the ultimate way to answer any religious fanatic at all have you not read because nine out of ten times they've never read 
that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And he said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So, wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God had joined together, let no man, let not man put asunder. So he brings back Moses, verse 7. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? All right, so what's the question? Why did Moses, if that's the case, then why did Moses do that? Verse 8, he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now notice that answer. The reason that Moses gave the commandment was because of their sinful, their hardened heart. Their resisting, resistance to God's word because of sin, what did he have to do? Well, if you commit adultery under the law, you're, you're instantly killed so that the, the law gets, the innocent party gets a way out of the marriage. Okay? That was the law. But again, if you're killing everybody doing it because these guys are willfully doing, having adulterous affairs, then what will end up happening? The population would start going down. So what did Moses have to do? Moses came in and he wrote a bill of divorcement. So God suffered it. He allowed a regulation to be established. This is what you call grace under the law. Not the dispensation of grace but grace under the law. He allowed a provision that allowed for the adulterer to not be killed and for the innocent party to, not, to no longer be bound by the law of marriage so then they could go out and they could get remarried and continue on. Okay? Galatians 3 in verse 19, Paul says that the law was added to the promise because of what? Do you remember? The transgression. Galatians 3.19. Galatians 3.19. Wherefore then served the law? It was added because of transgressions. Okay? It was added to what? To the promise. But because of sin... Law, the law was added to, all right, because of the hardness of their heart. Otherwise, they would have eventually killed off everybody, because what does sin do? It just keeps going, going, going. With the, the law comes the knowledge of sin. We're just going to, it's just going to, people are just going to get worse and worse and worse, Okay. So you have promise, the dispensation of promise, and then you have the dispensation of the law that comes in with Moses that then regulates sinful man. So then that gets to the question of, well, how many dispensations are there, right? That's what everybody wants to know. Well, and then you get seven. I've read up to 15 where they start, and really there's only like four or five, okay? And I know what happens. People get into the dispensation of innocence. Actually, I wrote them down. I had to write them down. Where did I stick that note? Because I dispensation of innocence, then the dispensations of conscience, then the dispensation of human government, and the dispensation of promise, dispensation of the law, dispensation of grace, then the dispensation of the kingdom of God or fullness of times. Okay? That's the big seven. Larkin, Schofield, all the boys do that. All right? Well, when you come into Scripture, there really isn't that. It's really the dispensation of promise, okay, begins with Adam in the garden, Genesis 1.28, with the mandate. How do you know that? Well, Genesis 1.28. We'll take a little side road here for a second. 
Genesis 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. All right, there's the mandate to man. Now, come to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Because what happens here, Matthew 25 and verse 34. Matthew 25 and verse 31, you have the Lord in the second coming. He's going to judge out the Gentile nations. He separates them out, the sheep and the goats. Verse 34, then shall the king say unto them, on his right hand, come ye, blessed of my father. Now watch, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the promise given to Abraham. No, from the foundation of the world. So it's from the beginning. From the very beginning with the creation of Adam, the kingdom has been the issue. Okay? And the mandate doesn't change after Adam falls. It's still the same mandate. How do you know? Genesis 9 with Noah. Noah, go out, replenish, fill it up, subdue, go on, get out there. Human government is established. Okay? So what you have is you have the same mandate that he's given man is the same mandate that he gave man after the fall. It's the same thing that's been going on since the beginning in the garden. Okay? So when you start talking about dispensation, you got the... Di in, in Romans, um, Paul breaks it out, time past, but now ages to come. I like that. Okay? But in Romans 5, you, you see him lay it out in Romans 5 as well. And you, you can argue this to the cows come home. It doesn't matter. But when you start, what happens is, is you start breaking this stuff down into subcategories and you lose the continuity of what's really going on. The mandate that God gave Adam in the garden is the same mandate for man on the earth all through the line. Sin just impacts it now. So we have to do other things. Look at Romans 5. Look at verse 12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Okay? So what reigned from Adam to Moses? Death did. But why did death reign? Because there's no law, so they don't understand why are we dying. There's nothing that says this is why you're dying. There's no standard. Moses gives them the law, and then what happens? Now they understand why they got the offense. Even over them that have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the what? The free gift. So you've got a dispensation from Adam to Moses. <laughs> then you've got a dispensation of Moses to Christ. Because what happens with Christ? Now we get the grace. We got the, so we've got promise, law, grace. And then you've got the dispensation of fullness of times or millennial kingdom, judgment, and stuff like that that is clear to see. None, all of, none of that has to do with anything really here. Just I got to thinking about it. Because the whole of the dispensation of promise begins with man. Even though man falls, that just requires God now to come do for man what man couldn't do for himself. And how you know that is because of Psalms 8, Psalms 132, other subsequent passages that say, here's the mandate given to man. Okay? So marriage is really, marriage divorce is really a dispensational issue. Because what does Mark 10, 6 say? From the beginning. What did he make? Male and female, and then he institutes marriage. Mark 10, verse 6. From the beginning, 
of the creation God made them male and female. What is Matthew 19? If you have lost it, I lost it. So, Matthew 19 and verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? In the dispensation of promise, you got a plan, you got a purpose, it's all instituted. You got the dispensation of law, you got that with Moses. Why? Because it's added, because of transgression. Sin's in there. Now we're going to have to deal with sin. So there is a provision that Moses has to add on concerning marriage, divorce, based because of the hardness of their heart. The regulation has been set from the beginning, which is what? One man, one female, one marriage, one lifetime. It's set. By the way, that's what it is today. Okay? But what did the law do? The law came in and regulated that bad boy. Now we've got to make a provision because otherwise we'll kill off everybody. <laughs> Could you imagine that being the case? Okay, but why? Because of the hardness of their heart. Now, go back to Mark 10, and let's catch another thing here. What is this about number four? <laughs> okay. Here comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's not preaching the Mosaic law here. Rather, he's preaching the new covenant, the Messianic law. Notice 10.3. Just notice this. And by the way, he's been doing this all along. Mark 10, verse 3, And he answered and said unto them, What did Moses command you? You see that? Verse 11, And he saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. See that? What, is the, what does the Mosaic law say? Well, we can have a bill of divorcement. I'm telling you, no, you can't. The Old Covenant says, Bill of Divorcement. The New Covenant says, no. And there's a reason why. Look at Matthew 19. Matthew 19. And this is the number next. Matthew 19, 8. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to be put, uh, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. And this is the great exception verse that everybody likes to claim, except for, you know, and, and, and it has nothing to do with any of that. What's, what's going on here? The old covenant says, boom, you have the ability. But the new covenant says, no, you don't. And the reason for that is, is because what does the new covenant do? He reaches in, he pulls out that hard heart, he gives them a new heart, he writes the law into their heart, so then what would they never do? Commit adultery. See what's going on here? Okay? But under the old covenant, they could never do that because they're sinful men, so we got to give you a little, you know, <laughs> what do they call it? Not a mulligan. Uh, there was a movie about it. Um, anyway, we got to give you a break, okay? And we'll let you off the hook. You, you see what's happening? The Lord comes in. He's not preaching Moses' law because, no, yeah, you, yeah, okay, that's what Moses said. But I'm telling you, no, you can't because under the new covenant, you've got my word in you. You got my spirit in you. You won't do. You'll be operating and functioning correctly. So when Christ speaks here, he's given them a, a new standard. This is how it's going to work moving forward. When the kingdom of God is here, this is how it's working. You follow that? Okay, good. Whew. I was a little worried about you, okay? Now, number next one. Look at verse number uh, Matthew 19, and notice something else that's happening here. 
verse 8, he lessens the penalty. Again, by the way, that is what grace does to the law. It, grace literally weakens the law. It allows the law to not absolutely kill them, which is what the law said it was to do. The law is a rigid thing. It's, there's no bend in the law. There's no gray area. Grace comes in and says, no, we can have a bill of divorcement here. We can do this. Okay? Now, look at verse 19. I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew 19, 9. And I say unto, what's that word? You. Who's the you? The Pharisees. Verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? You see, the you here is the Pharisees, the apostate nation. What does he say? Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marry. That exception who is the exception being talked to, given to? The Pharisees. The sin of the Pharisees, of apostate Israel, is what it is. It's what? It's hardened. What is, by the way, what is their sin? It isn't committing adultery. Verse 8, it's the hardening of their heart. It's the rejection of the word of God. That was their sin. But don't we remember reading all through the Old Testament about Israel committing spiritual adultery by bringing in other gods? You follow that? So the regulation given here about marriage is really a regulation. <laughs> it's really not a regulation. It's really a reflection of their sin. The spiritual problem. What's going on in the nation spiritually? They're out here a-whoring after other gods. They've committed adultery, spiritual adultery. So what does he do? He writes them a bill of divorcement. Now he's going to remarry her down the road and fix her and clean her up and all that good stuff. But what is he doing in the moment? You're done. You're apostate. Okay, you see that? That's what's going on. Come over to Mark 10. By the way, in 1 Corinthians 7, which is where we get our marriage information from, 1 Corinthians 7 in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, there is no provision for divorce today. You know why? Because you're under grace and your marriage can work. And what God's grace says is it can't, it, you, <laughs> what God says is I can make it work. You're both in Christ. Grace has, can make you, uh, your marriage work out. But you've got to believe it. You've got to operate by faith. You've got to work it out. You can find every relationship you find yourself in, from single to divorce to get remarried, you can find it in 1 Corinthians 7. It's, they're there. There's no sin that grace doesn't forgive. There's no sin that grace doesn't give you victory over. doesn't matter. I'm talking about the, the craziness of the adultery, the, the affair, all the way down to get out, we're divorced, and you're looking to get remarried. It's, it's just fantastic, the reach of God's grace. It's just wonderful, okay? And now I know going in the middle of it, the conflict's raging, you know. It's tough. <laughs> I get that. But the world around us isn't perfect. We live in, we're, and we're not perfect little creatures. We make mistakes, and yet there you can. Now, Mark 19, who's he talking to? The Pharisees, right? Now look at Mark 10. That was Matthew 19, 9, talking to the Pharisees. Now look at Mark 10, and look here at verse 10. Now watch him here. And, and in the house of his disciples, ask him again of the same matter. And he saith unto them, 
Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. See, there's no exception except for... for see, the exception clause goes for that apostate nation. Here, who's, who's the them here? The believing remnant, the little flock, the ones that the new covenant will be established in. See that? So under the new covenant, that covenant of grace, by the way, there's no exception. There's no reason for. This is the little, co- this is the little flock. There's no exception clause here. By the way, just keep reading. And he saith unto them, verse 11, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. And I am so glad that the Lord put, it on both sh- put the shoe on both feet. Because nine out of ten times, it's the man's the problem. And when you get into the mix of it, you know what? It isn't the guy. It's the woman. It, it just, oh, I've dealt with enough people, marriage counseling over the years, to know that, you know what, it's not always just the man. It's, yeah, there's, there's his truth, her truth, and then the real truth. And the real truth is, is we're all sinners, we all make mistakes, but God's grace is, is big enough to fix it. Not, again, 1 Corinthians 7. By the way, if you took Romans 12, you take Romans 12 that we're learning in Sunday school, and you take those concepts of renewing your mind and, and, and let love be without dissimulation and how to deal with an enemy, and you took that and applied those principles to your marriage, it would go on, it would be, beautiful, it would be a beautiful thing. Even in the, because what are, who are you? You are who you are in Christ, your spouse is in Christ, and you're good to go. But yeah, but what if my spouse isn't? Well, go to 1 Corinthians 7, and what do you learn? I... We had a dear lady here years ago when we were meeting in the home. She's saved. Husband's not saved. Rick, what do I do? 1 Corinthians 7. You can stay or go. It doesn't matter, but you ought to stay and love him because you never know. And she did. Raised two beautiful boys, and the rest is history. Mark 10. When the kingdom is established and the believing remnant is there, the ultimate status of marriage is reached. And there will be no problem that couldn't be fixed. There won't be a problem to begin with in the kingdom under the, under the new covenant. Okay? So, go back up uh, 10.7. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh so then they are no more twain but one flesh that's the issue in marriage is that one flesh they're joined together in union they produce a unity and then out of that unity verse 13 we'll pick up here next time they brought young children out of that unity then comes the family. And that is a natural outcome of marriage, is the family. Now, I understand the physical things. Sometimes you can, can't have. You know, I get that. That's not what he's talking about. By the way, that's just an excuse to be mad at God for not giving me kids. It's just get over yourself, okay? What he's talking about here, when they ask the question, they are tempting him. He's back where it all begins. The west side of the west banks of Jordan. He's dealing with the apostate Israel, saying, We had to give you provisions, otherwise we'd have killed you all. But that believing remnant, new covenant, kingdom, everything's good to go. So the husband the man and the woman, they're married, the husband and wife, they have children, they have family. Then you, in the family and the kids, verse 14, you install, you instill the same godly values of one woman, one man, one marriage, one lifetime. And that, be, that begins to develop a culture of righteousness. 
and that begins to develop a culture of that righteous nation. That's why in the end of verse 14 there, for such is the kingdom of God. Why? We got verse 6 from the very, how was it set at the very beginning? Boom, boom, boom. This is how it's going to work, and this is it. So on his way to the cross, he kind of starts here by affirming the institutions that are going to make the kingdom a reality. What's going to make the kingdom of God on the earth a reality? Back to the beginning, volition, marriage, family, the, na- the, the kingdom. And he does it in the face of the challenge of the Pharisees, the, rel- the satanic policy of evil. And they're going to use marriage to get at him. Okay? So for us today, don't use Matthew 19 and Mark 10. I heard a guy use Matthew 19 one time to justify his fornication. I'm like, dude, that is not you. You're 1 Corinthians 7 and knock it off. <laughs> and she said knock it off and oh, by the way, get out. And then she took a chainsaw to half of everything in the house, literally. She cut everything half. I'm like, okay, except for her mother's piano. She didn't cut that in half. And he's like, well, you didn't do it. And he didn't like, anyway, he didn't like his mother-in-law. So he's like, well, I'll cut it. And she goes, you touch that, and you'll be walking around half a man. (laughs) She did. She literally, she cut the dressers in half. She wooded the car, but. She stopped, which was a good, I mean, she cut everything in half. <laughs> like, okay, oh, angry wasn't even the word. <laughs> she was, anyway, we, we live in 1 Corinthians 7. <laughs> and again, no matter where you find yourself, single to all the way out, you'll find yourself in 1 Corinthians 7. Not here in Mark 10. In Mark 10, the Lord's doing something very specific. He's on his way to Calvary, and he's reaffirming what's going to bring in that kingdom, and it's going to be that righteous nation. And what are they doing? Well, they're volition, marriage, family, kingdom. Okay? Now, we'll pick up in verse 13 and get on down a little bit more as we go here. This will move quicker, I'm hoping, than what we've been doing. But I don't want to trip over and miss uh, some of this that's in this, like the stuff tonight. Um, we could have just read it and kept moving, but you got to see what's going on here because of the, especially as he's now headed to Calvary. And what happens is, is Mark, by Mark leaving out information, people then say, well, there's a problem with the scriptures because they don't, you know, uh, the synopsis of the gospels are no longer there. Well, they were never meant to be synopsis. They were never to, meant to be in harmony because you have those four different portraits. They were meant to be that, portraits, not, not everything blending together. But Mark is doing something, again, very wonderful. He, he'll he'll move, move us right on down through it quickly, and off you go, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the look into the matters here and to see the working of the Son, in the moment, dealing with the attack and dealing with the believing remnant. In your name we pray. Amen.